Chapter 11 The Peril of Apostasy Sermon 159 Preached Tuesday, the 24th of March, 1556 On Deuteronomy 28, verses 36 through 45 The Lord shall bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will lead you. You shall carry much seed out of the field and gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you will neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you will not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they will not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. We know what kind of emotion led to the people of Israel to choose themselves a king, pride for they did not wish to be inferior to their neighbors, 1 Samuel 8.20. Moreover, they thought it would make them very secure to have a head over them who would have all authority. And so we see that the children of Abraham were not content with their liberty, but desired to have a king, because they saw that the Egyptians, the Syrians, and the Moabites, as well as the Tyrians, and other like people, had kings, they were certain that if they also had a head, all would go well with them. Now, just as pride and ambition were the reasons they chose a king in Israel, even so they became hard-hearted in it, supposing that they were out of all danger. Having such a defense, we see that they despised the prophets, believing that they were well guarded. The Spirit of God, foreseeing this, though it had not yet come to pass, said that the king that they should appoint would be led captive into a strange country. Verse 36. It is just as if God had said that they might as well seek hiding holes to save themselves, but such would be of no avail at all against his hand. This is what we touched upon yesterday, namely that when God is our adversary, we may not imagine we can defend ourselves against him by means of his creatures, knowing that he shall surely apply them to our destruction. Therefore, let none of us deceive himself, neither let us make our defense out of what is nothing but smoke and lies. It is true that the king who was first chosen by the people of Israel, namely King Saul, was not brought into captivity, although he died in battle. The successors of David, however, were dealt with cruelly and with great reproach, even though God had ordained them and even though they were a figure and image of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a horrible thing that the kingdom God had dedicated to himself, as we see from the anointing, should be laid open to such reproach. 
you see how the successors of David, who had received the promise that their fears should be everlasting, and were also figures of our Lord Jesus Christ, were handled in such a way that they were led prisoners in chains, were arraigned as offenders, had their eyes put out, had their children's throats cut in their own presence, and were cast into a deep dungeon, there to rot or to be eaten to death with vermin. And that, as you can see, is a very strange matter. But the vengeance of God extended that far, and it was necessary because of the rebelliousness of the people, for which there was no other remedy. The more God put upon them and patiently waited for them, the closer they came to the extremity of all confusion for despising such great goodness and for being so rebellious and hard-hearted against it. Now we may gather a good warning from this, that as we discerned yesterday, although in the eyes of the world we seem to stand in no peril, yet it is needful for us to seek to have God's favor. For if God is not on our side, and we under his protection, all the helps we think to obtain from creatures are cursed, for they will serve rather to overthrow us. And therefore let us take heed that we not put our confidence in the greatness of princes or in any other defenses, for we see how they are but means to blind such as might otherwise turn to God and obtain forgiveness from him, and we see how in the end it will overthrow them utterly. Let us then be better advised, and though we seem to be well guarded by the world, yet let not that prevent us from always walking in the fear of God, knowing that all the favor we are able to purchase in the world amounts to nothing at all, and that if God but blows upon it, it all vanishes away in the minute of an hour. That is what we have to note from this text. Apostasy itself, the greatest of all curses. Now, it is expressly stated that both the king and the subjects shall serve foreign gods of stone and of wood, that is to say, puppets and idols. Doubtless God intended by these words to utter the dreadful extent of the punishment that was to come upon the Jews, for although the nourishment God gives us, and all the testimonies of his fatherly love and goodness appertaining to this transitory life are to be highly esteemed, Yet the most singular benefit that we receive, as long as we live in the world, is that we have religion well-ordered, that his service be pure among us, that we call upon him, and that it be lawful for us to claim him as our God, and that we be not corrupted and defiled with superstition and idolatry. That, I say, is the principal good thing to which the faithful should aspire, and we are truly but blocks and beasts if we do not prefer the same above all manner of riches and pleasures, and before all our ease and comfort. Now then, on the contrary part, the plague that ought to be the most dreadful to us, and the most horrible calamity that can fall upon us, is to be deprived of God's service, and to have our mouth shut so that we cannot call upon Him. And not only that, but also through tyranny, to be compelled to honor idols, and to defile ourselves with abominations, and to pervert what God has ordained for the magnifying of his name among us. When things are thus corrupted, let us understand that God has departed from us, and has declared himself to be our mortal enemy, that he has quite forsaken and refused us, and is loath that we should henceforth have any token or inkling at all, either of his presence or of his favor.
And so, when Moses says in this text that the Jews shall serve foreign gods, he intends to threaten them more dreadfully than before. It is as if he should say, It shall surely be grievous to you when you are famished, and want bread to eat, and water to drink, when your enemies will rob you of all your substance, and make havoc of all your possessions, when you will pine away in grief and sorrow without any means to assist yourself. Surely these will be very hard things for you, especially when you can obtain no favor from your enemies, who will be as wild beasts against you. All the same, this is all nothing in comparison to the other curse, which is that instead of honoring the living God and of confessing that he has chosen you to be his people, which is an immeasurable blessing, instead of such things, I say, you should serve idols and become accustomed to the superstitions of the pagans and have no more prayers, neither psalms nor offerings, but be dispersed and forlorn. Now, seeing that we perceive the natural sense of Moses, let us understand that among all the blessings of God that we enjoy in this present life, this ought to be preferred above all the rest. Namely, to have freedom to serve our God, to make confession of our faith, and to declare that we are His people, of His church and of His flock. Certainly this truth is little enough acknowledged. It is not, however, in vain that we are admonished concerning it. Seeing then that it has been the will of God to plant his church among us, and that we should have his word and his sacraments, by which he declares that he dwells among us, let us accept such a blessing according to its worth. Do not envy the prosperity of apostates. It will serve a double use to us. First of all, when we fare better every day as a result of the doctrine that is preached to us, such a treasure cannot perish except through our own unthankfulness, just as we see many folk who think that it is enough to be in attendance at sermons, and it seems to them that God has been given his due if they have but made a ceremonial appearance. Meanwhile, the seed of life perishes without yielding any fruit. Therefore, so that we may apply the blessing God bestows upon us, which blessing is that we have liberty to hear his doctrine and to be trained therein, and have the sacrament for an establishment of our faith, and may declare that it is the living God whom we worship, and that he governs us. I say, for all this to profit us, let us acknowledge that our Lord cannot bestow any greater blessing on us than this. And meanwhile we must take it patiently, if other things fail us, so that we lack comforts. Let us not be grieved at the children of this world, who have their delights and triumphs reveling in their earthly pleasures. If the children of God have not the same, let them know that they enjoy something that recompenses double, yea, a hundredfold, and that is that they are able to serve God. After all, what good does it do these wretched people who dwell in papistry to lie slumbering in their nests, if meanwhile they are banished from the kingdom of God, and Christ Jesus himself and his word are banished from the country in which they dwell? What does it avail for them to be served in their houses, if they are not permitted to serve God? What does it avail for them to have food and drink, to consume, until they burst, if they are starved for lack of spiritual food? What does it avail them to have honor and credit, if they are constrained to defile themselves with these treacherous dealings whereby God is despised, and his honor spoiled and conveyed over to idols, they being guilty thereof? 
Alas, is this not a cursed condition? Let us therefore take it patiently, even if we are held in contempt by the world and counted as underlings and castaways, lacking comforts and not having what our flesh desires, seeing that God gives us this special freedom, that we may purely worship and serve Him and be delivered from this cursed slavery to idols. Let us be content and esteem this benefit according to its worth, so that we are not grieved toward them that enjoy the goods of this world, but who are meanwhile destitute of the grace of God, which does remain among us. Do not forsake Christ's true liberty. Additionally, here is a warning that, since God has put us in possession and fruition of this liberty, we must take good heed that we not be deprived of it through our own leadenness, for this threat that was made to the Jews is also directed to us. Let us understand, therefore, that since we have the gospel preached to us, if it does not prevail with us, God must deliver us into the hands of other teachers when we refuse to obey Him. And in truth, we ought not to think that the horrible confusion that exists in papistry comes from any other causes than this. They were taught the pure doctrine of the gospel, but they have rebelled against God and have not bound their necks to bear His yoke. And therefore God could not do other than deliver them over to such tyranny as we see. And truly this was prophesied to them by St. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 11-12. It is proper, says he, that the world, since it will not believe the truth, should obey lies, and those who will not be subject to the living God should be obedient to the creature, even to idols. With such examples before our eyes, and hearing the threats as it lies here, let us, while God keeps us in his school, learn so to walk in his fear and awe, that we may not be bereft of the welfare we now enjoy, but that God may rather augment it and cause it to prevail. Moreover, let us mark that those who serve idols shall not be excused for it, even though it is itself a punishment from God. We know that one sin is punished by another, as it is said in various places in Scripture, and as we see it especially avowed in the first chapter of the letter to the Romans. Those who would not serve God by giving themselves wholly to cleanness of life were shaken off and given over to all manner of shameful lusts, and retained no more understanding to discern between good and evil than the brute beasts, but ran into all kinds of evil. By this, St. Paul shows very well that when God gives us leave to plunge ourselves into the depths of our iniquities, it is so that we should be more guilty before him. Those, therefore, who worship idols, notwithstanding that they are compelled to it, and sigh, and desire to be at liberty, still offend God, and from this they should better understand how heinous their sins are, seeing that they must receive such correction for them. How so? Because when I should be glorifying my God, I offend Him instead, and He is ready to cast me off because I am not worthy to serve Him, and He must deprive me of the liberty and ability to dedicate myself wholly to His obedience. Let all those, therefore, that are in the captivity of papistry and mingled among the superstitious understand that the vengeance of God lies upon them, and that they will be more and more guilty for their serving of idols. It is a poor reply for them to say, We do not do it willingly. We wish that it might please God that the right and pure religion were over all. But for all this, our Lord does not exempt them from condemnation, and He is the competent judge. Let us, therefore, rest upon His word and seek no more escape routes, 
But let them that endure such a state understand that it is now or never when it comes to turning to God, since they are as good as drowned in their present condition, and possess a token of wrath against themselves, and that he has gone far away from them. Therefore, let them think upon this, and be moved with it to the quick, according to the meaning of God in this text, and as we have touched on it heretofore. An Example to the Nations Now Moses says that this people shall be an astonishment, a proverb, a byword, and a ridicule among the nations in which they will be dispersed. Here our Lord shows that as his goodness should be displayed among the people of Israel, so that every man should rejoice in the seed of Abraham, so should the very same people be abhorred and detested. The promise to Abraham was thus, All nations shall be blessed in thy seed. Of course it is true that we must look to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very bond of the seed of Abraham, or else this blessing has no place or ground to stand upon. Yet notwithstanding, they who were descended from the race of Abraham should have been blessed by God, so that they might have been an example, that everyone desiring grace might say, O God, take pity upon me, as upon the children of Abraham, whom he had chosen and adopted. Such was the promise. Behold here the threat that was laid against it. When men see how fiercely God smites the people whom he had chosen, they will be astonished at it, and think thus with themselves, Is it possible that they whom God chose should now be cast off and be persecuted and thrown underfoot with all manner of reproach? And upon this men may say, O God, keep me that I not fall to such a case as this people is in. Or else when they intend to curse they might say, God do to you as he did to those vile Jews. This much is to be understood from this place. Now let us mark that just because the Holy Spirit spoke thus by the mouth of Moses, it was not his intention that this doctrine should serve only for two thousand years or thereabouts which was the time the law lasted until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but that we at this day must apply the same to our own use. Insomuch as God has come near to us, we must walk in his fear in spite of Satan, so that his goodness may shine in us and be perceived to remain upon us. And on the other side, when we are unthankful and our God is as it were mocked by us, it is needful for us to think thus, well we may shrink back from the way, but we shall gain nothing from all our plans, for in the end we shall surely come to shame. In truth we see how it is said that the name of God will be blasphemed among the unbelievers, because those who were counted faithful earlier have been so cast down that God may seem to have falsified his promise and to have deluded them. So far forth must the vengeance of God extend. Now seeing that this is so, let us learn to submit ourselves to our Lord while he allures us to himself with gentleness, and so hold ourselves under his obedience that we may not become a byword and a ridicule to all the wicked, who seek nothing but to blaspheme God and to make a mock of us. Let us, I say, look well to that. Moreover, when Moses says that God shall disperse his people, it serves to confirm the matter so that the Jews should not think that they were carried away by a storm, as it were, by mere happenstance, but that they should understand that it was the hand of God that was upon them. 
and in that his warnings did not prevail with them, therefore what happened to them should cause us to stop short. For behold what vengeance we hear God threaten in this place. We see the same thing executed before our eyes. Is it not a horrible thing that the Jews are abhorred at this day throughout the whole world? Yet they were the people whom God had sanctified for himself. They were his heritage. They were the royal priesthood, as they were termed in Exodus 19.6. They were the blessed generation. And yet for all this they are rejected by all men, insomuch that men do as it were shudder to behold them as though they ought to be cut off from mankind. If it be said, well, this might very well happen to the faithful, and similar things happened even to the holy patriarchs, this is quite true, but in another fashion. For the faithful may well be put in fear, just as it is said in Isaiah 8.18, and people may point at them with the finger and shun them afar off, and that is because God is not known and his grace is despised. But when we speak of the Jews at this day, it is very well seen that God is against them, for they are like rotten members, and their body is torn to pieces, and there does not remain any token of the blessing that God has bestowed on them. Therefore, when we look at such a mirror, let us learn to make a good use of it, and let their example serve to seal this doctrine and to confirm it, so that we do not test God, and so that we not continue hard-hearted so long that he decides to wrap us up in reproach with all the rest of the nations of the world. The Destruction of Food and Oil After this, Moses returns to something that he had touched upon before, which is that the people, having tilled their fields and possessions, would neither drink of the wine of their grapes, nor eat of the grain of their harvest, nor enjoy the fruits of their trees. This has been spoken before, but there is here a certain difference to be noted. For before, God had stated that when the Jews had labored for grain and wine, the enemies would come and take it all away, and that all of it would be made a prey. But now he says that without any force of man, and without any trouble of war, they should nevertheless not fail to be famished and to be destitute of all things that might do them good. And how? Because worms, beasts, caterpillars, locusts, and all other things would eat up the fruit of the earth. Behold what armies God stirs up against the wicked. Again, on the other hand, they would be blasted and singed, so that all would perish. So that even if men do not touch the Jews, and leave them alone in rest, yet they are to understand that God has other means to punish them, and that he is always armed in infinite ways. That is what God intends to declare. And therefore, let us take warning from this text, that when we have escaped one plague, God shall find another for us. And if we step aside to the left hand, yet he is nevertheless armed against us, and before we have gone three paces, he stops us in our way. Behold how well men succeed when they seek holes to hide in. We see it in the prophecy of Isaiah 29.15, how he mocks those who think by their craftiness to escape the hand of God. Dream on, dream to your fill, he says, yet will the curse always overtake you. And similarly, even though we have no enemies to trouble us and to rise up against us to spoil our substance, yet let us understand that God has other means, which we are not aware of, by which he can bereave us of what he has put into our hands. 
We shall be abashed when, thinking we have something wherewith to satisfy ourselves, the bread will be plucked out of our mouths, and that, when we think to drink, we shall be dry. And what brings this to pass? Well, it is our Lord who gives increase to the grain when it is sown in the ground, and it is He who sends the grapes. It is He who causes all things to prosper for our nourishment. We are taught by this text, first of all, that when we till the fields, sow them and reap them, we must make prayers always to God to bless the earth, that we may be fed through His grace. And we must hold it for a certainty that it is His peculiar office to feed us as a father feeds his little children. So much on this point. I have treated it at large before, so that it suffices here merely to touch upon it. God's Special Warriors Now, furthermore, let us note, then, when God speaks here of locusts, worms, caterpillars, and other beasts, and when He speaks of blastings and of burnings that come from it, He shows that He has men of war of a strange sort available when He determines to punish men. This serves to pull down the pride of men. For if we are spoiled by our enemies, very well, men will say, this was done by violence and plain force. For example, when war comes, the whole country is spoiled, the riches become beggars, and all this is ascribed to the war. Men are not blamed for it. But when it comes to pass by other means, so that men do not know by what means their substance is wasted, though they see it melt away before their eyes, one year by hail, another by frost, and one time one way, and another time another way, so that all things are consumed in their hands. God by this means makes it more manifest to men that he intends to confound them utterly. Indeed, if we look at the way God dealt with the Egyptians, we shall see it much better, for we discern God's judgments better in other men than in ourselves. If God had stirred up a great army against the Egyptians, instead of lice and vermin, they would have continued on in their pride and presumption. And even if they had been a hundred times discomfited, yet they would not have ceased being stiff-necked to this very day. When they were persecuted with lice, which were God's soldiers in Egypt, they should have been confounded. Therefore, let us well note that God, by sending men such chastisements as are set down here, is warning them to think on their frailty. If Herod had been slain with a thunderbolt from heaven, it would not have been as fit a punishment for the blasphemy he committed in allowing himself to be called a god and not a man, as when God caused him to be eaten and consumed with vermin until he was as rotten as could be. Thus he was compelled to say, as one of his friends and contemporaries records, Oh, behold here a goodly God, which is so rotten that he is forced to feel that the hand of God is persecuting him for his pride. Let us therefore mark well that God, after treating the Jews to send against them enemies who by violence and force of arms would spoil the country of all manner of food, now adds moreover that although they were not vexed or troubled at all by the hand of man, nor was anything attempted by man against their possessions and land, yet notwithstanding they should not pride themselves in their labors or in their tilling well their grounds. And why? Because the vermin will waste it all. And he says expressly, You shall sow much and gather nothing. He shows by this that no matter how good provisions men make beforehand, thinking undoubtedly that all will go according to their wishes, yet they will be never the better for it.
and it serves to this end, that we should not fall asleep when we see fair prospects, according to our propensity to despise God, as if to say that if there is a good seed time, then we are out of danger, as if God had no more dealings with earthly things. Or, if we have reaped and laid up the grain in our barns, we become more confident because we see no likelihood of any more danger. But instead of this, we should evermore have an eye to God, saying, Lord, behold, the earth waits for rain as though it were a thirst, and when you give it, it is to make it bring forth sustenance for our nourishment. Again, such storms might fall from heaven as would wash away all from us, and one war would be enough to bereave us of all that we have. Thus is all in your hand, O Lord, and we must depend upon your mercy and be all our life long in your custody, or else we must perish, and all the provisions that we have will profit us nothing. Thus, then, must we call upon God with diligence and walk in his fear, seeing he is so gracious as to be our foster father and vouchsafes to stoop so low to us. Therefore Moses has very well declared in this text that we must not be beguiled by such goodly prospects and fair provisions as we may have, as, for example, when we see the grain is fair upon the ground. We must not be too joyful, as if all were one. No, not even when the grain is gathered in. For God wishes to be called upon at that time, just as we are bound to make our daily suit unto him, saying, Give us this day our daily bread, O Lord, that day by day he may feed us. For even if we have never so much today, yet tomorrow we may starve. For when it pleases God, he is able not only to destroy the grain and wine in the fields, but also he can make them to be worth nothing, even when we have them in our garners and cellars. Nay, we hear the threats that he makes, saying, You shall carry grain to the mill by measure, and the bread to the oven by weight, Ezekiel 4.16. And yet for all that, you shall still be empty and hungry. When you have eaten your fill, there will be no strength at all in the meat, neither will you be sufficed therewith. Seeing our Lord tells us that he has so many ways to famish us, let us not be hard-hearted, but let it rather waken us, that we may altogether depend upon him and walk in his fear and be his children, if we want him to continue to do the office of a father toward us. That is the effect of these things which we have to remember. Here again, Moses repeats these threats, which he has spoken before, saying that the Jews and their lineage shall be carried away into captivity. Verse 41. Now certainly there can happen nothing more bitter to men than to see their children taken away by force, eaten and devoured by the enemies and cruelly dealt with. They would a hundred times rather bury them. Now then, let us mark in few words what God intended to declare in this text, which is that, Although he has been never so bountiful to us, and filled us with his blessings, so that we are fenced in on all sides, yet he can very well bereave us of them all again, and that plague will be much more grievous to us than if we had never known what his goodness means. Wherefore, the larger God bestows his blessings upon us, yea, even those blessings that concern this transitory life, let us look that we are always so much the more provoked to honor him and to serve him. For he, for his part, will not cease to do us good, if we do not turn tail and give him over. But seeing that he allures us to himself gently, 
If we are willing to come to him, let us assure ourselves that his hand will evermore be stretched forth to augment the gifts and blessings that we have received of him. Comprehensive Judgment In the end, he returns to the matter we have dealt with already. All these curses shall come upon you, they shall seize upon you, and you shall be caught and besieged by them on all sides until God has completely consumed you, all because you did not hearken to his voice to obey his statutes and commandments he gave you. I have told you before how Moses has repeatedly shown the Jews that no evil or adversity came upon them except by the hand of God. It is necessary for us to know the cause as well, however. It is true that sometimes God visits us and we cannot perceive the reason for it, for he does not do it on account of our sins, not that he might not do so, but because he spares us. Yet, must we always look to this, that when we sustain any affliction, we ought to think upon our sins and enter into examination of them to condemn ourselves before God. Indeed, and we must not tarry until such adversity comes, but we must benefit ourselves from every calamity that we see throughout the world, knowing that God punishes men's sins by such means and bridling ourselves in the light of it. So then, the matter to which Moses now returns is this, that having showed us how it is the Lord who withdraws all manner of blessing from us, how it is he who curses our possessions and the fruits of the earth, how it is he who sends vermin and storms and tempests to destroy all, how it is he who gives power to our enemies, he then shows why all this is done. It is because we have rebelled against him, because we have despised his law. That is the very reason why these plagues of wrath do so pursue us. Now then, let us bear in mind the teaching that has been sufficiently set forth about this already, which is that when God afflicts us, we must shut our mouths from replying or entering into argument for we shall win nothing by being contentious with him. No, rather, we must condemn ourselves, confessing that he deals justly, even if it is his purpose to prove our patience and to try us to the uttermost. Yet, all the same, we must declare ourselves guilty before him, and understand that our sins deserve to be thus roughly handled at his hands. Such an approach would cause to cease all blasphemies, murmurings, and complaints that are daily heard in the world. When any adversity or affliction happens to us, it is so that we should think on the sins we have committed. Mark that for one point. And since the mention is made of the commandments and statutes that God has ordained, the same expressly and purposely concerns us. For although the papists have the law, yet it is buried in their midst. The Jews, as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.15, have a veil before their eyes. The Turks walk in their own ignorance, as do all the rest of the heathen. Now our Lord enlightens us and shows us the way. There is, therefore, a more villainous rebellion in us when we do not do according to what we have been taught. We deserve that God should use greater severity with us and pour upon us the plagues of vengeance that are contained here. Therefore, let us benefit ourselves by the things that are said here concerning the commandments and the statutes that God has ordained. And seeing it is the case that he speaks to us daily, declaring to us his will so familiarly, let every one of us submit himself obediently to it. And when Moses says further that these curses shall catch hold of us, 
and that we will be hemmed in round about by them until they have consumed us, it is a warning to us that we should not be self-willed against God. For we may well seek hiding places, but it will avail us nothing, as we have said before, for the end will always be unhappy for us. And therefore, let us remember the complaint that God makes through his prophet Isaiah. He says in Isaiah 1.6 that from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot, God must of necessity smite hard upon them that have rebelled. And having spoken thus by his prophet Isaiah, he says, What more can I do? I have not ceased to chastise my children, insomuch that from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot I have so beaten them that there is no hole or sound place, and yet they continue hard-hearted still. Alas, what shall I do? I must crush them and break them all to pieces. So then, let us be afraid to take such a rebellious stance against our God, and let us prevent the condemnation here pronounced. And as soon as God begins to correct us, let us bestir ourselves to return to Him, and let us not tarry long, but being admonished by His word, let us fall to bewailing our sins, being sorry for them, and let us ask forgiveness of them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer Now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgement of our sins, beseeching Him to not allow us to be so blinded in this mortal life as not to realize that all the miseries and wretchedness that we suffer are warnings given to us, to make us think on ourselves and on our lives, and also to move us to repentance. And therefore that, if we are afflicted by His hand, it may not cause us to blaspheme His holy name or move us to impatience, but rather tame us, so that we may fare the better by all his corrections, and turn again to him. And then when we see the wretched world at this day to be so full of wretchedness and horrible miseries, and thus behold the wrath of God for the sins that reign therein, it may be a means to hold us in awe, praying God not to use any such rigor toward us, but rather that we, fleeing for refuge to his mercy in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, may be touched with true repentance and increase and prosper more and more therein, until, being delivered from all our imperfections and sins, our God clothes us with his righteousness unto which we are daily called, that it may please him to grant this grace not only to us, but also to all peoples and nations of the earth, etc.